Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. It's Jawad here as always. How is everybody this week? After the Qatar Grand Prix, the inaugural race there at the LaSalle International Circuit. Hope everyone's doing well and you've survived another epic triple header, even though this last race probably wasn't as epic um, in terms of the championship battle, but still a good race nonetheless. And the drivers and whatnot um, seem in, seemed impressed with the circuit, uh, very fast and flowing, a little bit of peril with those uh, shark tooth like curbs on the outside, which did cause a bit of trouble for some drivers, which I'll address a bit later. But um, yeah, interesting how um, from 2023 onwards, they're hoping to run a street race downtown in Doha. So we might not get to see this track again, unfortunately, but um, it is what it is. And, you know, obviously some people still feel... Um, uh, strongly about the next few races, and I fully respect that. Um, it is quite important to highlight those issues going on in that part of the world. Nevertheless, though, we've got two races left in this season, so we've reached the 20 race milestone for, for 2021, and boy, it just feels like it's such a long time. Uh, you know, you go back to March early this year, I know a lot has happened, you know, whether it's, it's abroad or in our own backyard here, it's, it's been a long year and, you know, and the way that the season has gone on too, it hasn't been exhausting in the sense that, oh, you know, I just want it to be over kind of thing. It's just been one thing after another, a lot of toing and froing, going backwards and forwards, um, with a championship lead between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, and yeah, you know the the scenario that everyone wanted at the start of the year for this to go down to the wire is is almost about to be realised because they're on you know there's an eight point difference between them after uh, Lewis Hamilton's faultless drive there in Qatar to claim his seventh win of the season. And there's two races to go and people have already done the maths and the the predictions looking through the crystal ball and whatnot to see if um, what scenario needs to play out there in, in Saudi Arabia for them to arrive in Abu Dhabi on equal points. So, you know, as I said last week, it's it's wishful thinking, but, you know, the way that this season has gone on, the drama, the politicking, you know, obviously, it's gonna it's gonna make for an entertaining drive to survive season four next year early on, hopefully. But you know, it's gonna get a conclusion that's worthy of or what we've been through. So, so without further ado, Qatar Grand Prix also got some supercars as well after their final Sydney Super Night over the weekend. The four back to back weekends at Sydney Motorsport Park done and dusted, and um, we'll look ahead to the Bathurst 1000 as well next weekend. And quickly, quick shout out to F1 Chronicle as always and the Grid Talk podcast. So you could catch me, um, you could have catched, uh, you could have caught me um, over the weekend doing the um, qualifying review as well. So, you know, you can go check them out after the fact as well um, on YouTube. YouTube's probably the best, you know, you get to see everyone's faces and whatnot, but, you know, they are on all the podcast platforms too. So, Good, good on them. Quick shout out to them as always. Um, and yeah, like I said, Hamilton win, seventh win of the season from pole position. And, you know, Mercedes all weekend looked strong. And this is something that has been 
a um, a beef of Christian Horner and the Red Bull team, and um, I'll talk more about Horner and the bickering with Toto Wolf a bit later on, you know, after we talk about the racing a little bit. But yeah, Mercedes certainly ahead, it seems, on pace. Max, Red Bull couldn't really match them at all. And, you know, during qualifying, uh, Max managed second, but was hit with a five place grid penalty for failing to slow under the double waved yellows at the back end of Q3. So we had an incident with Pierre Gasly in his front wing. Um, down the pit straight and there was a whole debacle about that and you know the decision was not actually made until prior to the race so you know the stewards again taking their time overnight to deliberate and to you know summon the drivers that were um, involved in that incident or you know in that part where they put the yellow flags out and they didn't obey it um it wasn't only just max as well for people <laughs> thinking that you know the whole world is against max at the moment but Valtteri Bottas as well was hit for a, th- a three-place grid penalty and that was because it was a single waved yellow um in that particular sector so the difference between ignoring a a uh, you know, single yellow flag versus a double waved yellow flag, then, you know, it is, it's an extra two places. So Max, you know, ended up starting the race from P7. Bottas was just ahead of him in P6, I believe. Um, Pierre Gasly as well, you know, despite uh, having that incident at the end of Q3, qualified um, or was elevated to his first ever front row start. And I think the first ever front row start for a Frenchman in quite some time as well. So good on Pierre for that. We saw excellent a excellent performance from Fernando Alonso as well during qualifying. So as a result of those grid penalties, he was elevated up to third as well. So exciting to see old El Matador up there as well. So um, you know, the race played out pretty well as well, which we'll get to in a moment. But yeah, for Red Bull and Verstappen, it was all about damage limitation to come back and finish second in the day. He, from seventh on the grid, shot up to fourth on the first lap before, um, inexplicably, I guess, uh, Pierre Gasly stepped aside uh, to let the Red Bull driver through. I'm sure there would have been words pre-race about that between Helmut Marco and um, Franz Tost and, and Pierre Gasly himself as well. They don't want their sister team to <laughs> impact the championship in any way. So, and we've seen this, you know, in, in previous races with Yuki Tsunoda as well, you know, getting um, possibly in the way and whatnot. But, you know, nothing has uh, really fell afoul of them just yet. Poor start for Valtteri, though, seeing him drop to P11 um, after that grid penalty. And this is the thing with Bottas is that... Once something goes wrong, it kind of just continues to go wrong, and that's basically the best way to sum up his race again. I mean, kudos for him for his recovery during the race, which we'll get to in a moment, but, you know, Checo, who qualified horribly, and, you know, everyone was giving him stick about it afterwards, then shot up in the opening stint, you know, he he qualified P11, and, um, you know, he was doing well, he was picking off car after car, I think, you know, he ended up with the most overtakes at the end of the race too, it felt like he was just overtaking forever, basically, and it was the strategy that they put on, on at the end of the day that really stuffed up his race, but Max was in on lap 18 um, for his first stop, switched to the hard tyre, Hamilton in on the next lap to cover, so the undercut really not giving Max any kind of um, 
headway into into Lewis's lead. Um, it was going to be a race of two stops. Um, Alonso, he got his soft tyres to about lap 24 before switching to the hard compound. So him really doing, uh, he really doing pretty well in terms of tyre preservation and, you know, tyres definitely a talking point later on in this race. So he he did well in that opening stint on the soft tyre, went to about lap 24, as I said. You had Valtteri as well, who was up to half race distance on his medium tyres as Checo got stuck in traffic. So that was the thing that stuffed um, Perez around was the fact that he was brought in uh, much earlier than they thought, uh, much earlier than he thought he would be, then put out in traffic, and then basically he was like, oh, well, we could do a one-stop here, and we could really benefit. Instead, you know, it was a two-stop strategy they put him on, and he ended up stuck in traffic. Though for Bottas, he, after a bit of a hurry-up from Toto Wolf, uh was doing the same thing as Perez and picking off a bunch of drivers, racing his way up on those medium tyres um, into the top 10, but on lap 34 had, sadly, a front left puncture. So that's where his race kind of went to went awry. Um, and it also kind of put all the one-stoppers on edge because not only he had the front left failure, but the Williams drivers, both of them, you know, having the same problem as well. Uh, whether it was the the shark tooth curbs or whatever I I like to call them, Um, them just taking a bit too much curb remains to be seen. Um, But yeah, very much, you know, they probably brought the hardest of their tyre range here this weekend. Um, I know obviously the first race that they've had for F1 with these Pirelli tyres at this particular circuit very demanding, a lot of loads through the corners, so obviously, yeah, if you push them too far, this is what's going to happen, they've got no data to work off previously, McLaren as well ended up having to come in and stop because, you know, they would have seen on their telemetry that the same thing was going to happen to to Lando Norris, and that's where it, it gets real sad for Lando is because he was looking at a possible top five finish, finishing ahead of the Ferraris as well, yet, you know, to protect his race and prevent anything further, um, anything worse from, you know, (laughs) anything worse happening, you know, on top of that, um, they brought him in, pitted him and ended up P9, um, behind the Ferrari, so not great when you look at their battle in the Constructors' Championship, of course, and many have already conceded that it's, it's a lost cause for the rest of the year, you know, I've, I've, I'm still going to be the optimist here and see, yeah, we've got two races to go. But yeah, for Bottas especially, that was a bit rough, you know, and to have to retire the car later on because, you know, just save the components and whatnot heading into the last two races. And both the Williams guys as well, I think they were classified. Uh, Latifi was not classified, sadly. George Russell did make it to the end there um, and was a classified finish ahead of Nikita Mazepin. Um... Up the front, though, we got to about lap 42 when we had that second stop from Verstappen. Um, Hamilton in the next lap, obviously, to cover as well. And then Checo, after his second stop, was down in P7 and was going on a bit of a rampage to pass all the one-stoppers. So behind him, you had uh, Esteban Ocon, you had Lance Stroll, you had Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc as well. So both the Ferraris and when you consider Leclerc's race as well, he started outside the top 10 just ahead of Daniel Ricciardo too and ended up getting himself into the top 10 and scoring points. And where did Ricciardo finish? 
<laughs> um, P, P12, you know, after qualifying 14th, and, you know, it's just, just thinking about it before, I'm like, you know, this is, this is the driver that you're paying your big bucks to, to get the results, you know, and to be your, your alpha driver, yeah, we haven't really seen that a lot this season, and, you know, He'll have the merit of the win under his belt, of course, and this is by no means criticism of of him or McLaren. It's more like, you know, you've been stood up or not stood up, you've been shown up by your junior teammate this year on more occasions than that. And if it wasn't for the win, you know, you could be said to have had a pretty dismal season. And I'm sure by his own high standards, it's not been a great year. So you'd hope that um, next year it's it's a different story. And on that as well, like, there is a saving grace of the fact that, you know, where they finish this year is in terms of, you know, their performance and, and their card is not really going to translate much over to next year, given the fact that next year we've got an all-new technical package and all-new cars. So it's more so the power unit stuff that, you know, is going to be relevant for next year, but that's not even in McLaren's hands anyway. That's that's Mercedes who do that. And for Ferrari, the gains they've made, that's going to be quite important. And as I always say, big, big fan of the, the lineup that Ferrari has, Sainz and Leclerc, even if I'm not a fan of the team itself, so, you know, for them to come back and score points in this particular race as well, in 7th and 8th, executed the one-stop strategy to perfection, and Leclerc now within one point of uh, Lando Norris and a top five finish for this season, so who would have thought that at the start of the year, given that the hype was all around McLaren, so, you know, fingers crossed that Lando can hold on in these last two races, but, you know, some people will think that that is not going to be the case. Um, We had a virtual safety car that aided Fernando Alonso, though, um, in the final stages of the race, you know, he was one-stopping, of course, so, you know, being able to neutralise the field and neutralise the pace of the race meant that he was able to hang on to third place, his first podium since 2014, since the Hungarian Grand Prix, um, where he finished for Ferrari, um, I think Daniel Ricciardo was on the podium, or he won the race that day, I can't recall who was second, the Mercedes guys were behind, um, so yeah, it's, I have to look at that up, sorry, you know, 2014, um, a good year in, in many respects or whatever, um, and boy, it feels like such a long time ago, and it's interesting seeing all the graphics and, um, things that people bringing up, you know, what's happened since, you know, what was going on the last time uh, Fernando Alonso finished on the podium and there were some interesting things like, you know, the first ever Apple Watch came out or, you know, LeBron James returned to the Cavaliers um, there and, and all sorts of other crazy stuff going on. So, you know, good on him, good on El Matador. He uh, had a great race, you know, and he knew... And this is the great thing with both these Alpine drivers is, you know, they're working for each other as well as, um, you know, themselves. You know, a lot of the thing about Alonso coming in this year with Ocon was, you know, whether he'd try his usual tactics on Ocon. But I think maybe uh, working in WEC and in, in Dakar as well has taught him to be a bit more kinder to his teammates, you know, be a bit more collaborative. So, and it was nice during the race hearing when, when you had Perez charging up through the field, 
um, Alonso telling his engineer to pass on to Esteban to, <laughs> to defend like a lion, which, you know, unfortunately Esteban didn't really put up much of a, a, a lion-like defense and all the memes that spawned from that were quite entertaining too. A lot of just shaved, miserable-looking cats, unfortunately, <laughs> for them. So, uh, unfortunately, yeah, you know, he couldn't defend long, Checo made it up into fourth, but, um, Alonso still managed to get that podium ahead, um, good on Lance Stroll, though, good on Aston Martin this week, you know, and I'm, I'm pretty known, I'm well known for not giving him the greatest of feedback at times, so when, you know, they do have a good race, I've got to, I've got to point that out, I don't want to be a sourpuss about that, but, um, you know, they, they benefited, they, benefited from the one stop, go deep into the top 10 as well, I think this is the first time since the French Grand Prix that um, Aston Martin have scored double points as well, so you know, Seb did a great job, he scored a single point though in 10th, but you know, again, making it to Q3, qualifying in 10th, um, and yeah, you know, whatever whatever they did strategy-wise worked and they got a good haul of points even though they aren't really fighting against anyone at this stage in the Constructors' Championship. They're just, uh, you know, holding their own down in that position where they are. So good good on them for that. Um, as I said, McLaren unlucky there with Lando Norris to not um, finish further up. It could have easily been a top four, sorry, top five or top six finish for them. Already mentioned Dan, and yeah, you know, Verstappen with the fastest lap at the end of the race, you know, did that additional pit stop despite the um, the virtual safety car afterwards, and yeah, eight points is the difference. What else do you want to know? Five points in the Constructors' Championship too, so that's looking like it's going to go down to the wire, and again, as I mentioned before, the criticism of Perez before or before the race and after qualifying, oh, you know, he needs to help his teammate, yada, yada. Just keep a stun on it because he came and delivered on race day, um, did a great job, finished in fourth at the end of the day. And, you know, with, with Bottas not scoring any points on the day, it really helped them out. So it's for the next two races we've got to see you know Checo put in more of these performances and perhaps even finish ahead of ahead of Bottas that would be great too well when it comes to racing in the points and whatnot um and if he can get some get another podium or, or whatever that would be great too so now to all the politicking part as well because I think you know the weekend was more um <laughs> more memorable for the uh, war of words going on between Christian Horner and Toto Wolff. Um, it started off, obviously, with coming into the weekend with Mercedes' right of review after the incident in Brazil on lap 48 between Verstappen and Hamilton at turn four, um, coming up before the stewards, and they were going to deliberate over it, and ultimately it was dismissed because there was a lack of new evidence or overwhelming evidence to, to even bother um, looking into it again. So the onboards or whatever that they found was not sufficient enough to to look into reopening the case. Um, this then triggered not only Mercedes, but other teams up and down the grid 
to seek clarification around the rules of engagement as well um whether a move such as max is actually is it legitimate you know because mclaren definitely feel felt a bit more aggrieved by this by the penalty that lando received in austria earlier in the year um they thought it was a similar similar incident to to max and brazil yet you know they copped a penalty in austria yet max didn't here um so a lot to do with that, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, w- words exchanged between Horner and um, and Wolf. Nothing, you know, they're not going to have dinner anytime soon, apparently. And and Horner doesn't want to be kissing um, Toto's ass and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then we see Horner go full full Karen. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how this is a thing, you know, and it was actually trending on Twitter after qualifying, um, Karen Horner, it's like, <laughs> this is so good, so funny, Karen's mad, Karen's mad, um, Horner was summoned to the stewards for a comment that he made after qualifying in relation to the yellow flag, so he actually called a marshal, a rogue marshal for um, you know, just putting out a yellow flag because he felt like a kind of thing. That's not the case. And Michael Massey, the race director, took that very seriously because he is very um, staunch in his defense over marshalling and the volunteers because, after all, these are volunteers that, you know, come and do the flag marshalling all over the world, no matter what um, level of motorsport you're at. Um, So Horner's comment did seem very, very petty and very Karen-like. You know, I don't need to explain what a Karen is. I've had to deal with so many of them in the last week uh, (laughs) in regards to asking for vaccination status to enter um, into my workplace. Um, Yeah, so you don't say that sort of stuff full stop and you know Horner was lucky to get off you know the way he did and you know Massey got on him for pulling him up for that and a lot of pointed comments as well in the press you've got to say you know especially in the sky coverage and whatnot and it almost feels like you know the broadcasters are fishing for for some kind of reaction too so whereas whereas Toto just kind of didn't involve himself as much you've got to say than than Horner Horner just maybe feeling the pressure a bit too much you got to say and it's easy to say that because when you look back at when Red Bull won their four championships um in late 20 uh, in the early 2010s or whatever um apart from 2010 and 2012 it didn't really seem like there was much competition there and never has he had the, this kind of battle off track, you know, with a fellow team principal like he's having with Toto Wolf at the moment, and I and I, we discussed this last week. Me and a mate of my, me and a friend, um, he brought up. He's like, it, it's like watching UFC or you know boxing at the moment between the team principals. I don't think ever in the history of F1 you've seen team principals um, fight this fiercely with with what they're saying. And you know, Horner also talking about during the broadcasts and whatnot and in the interviews about Mercedes rear wing and you know what's going on with that and they think it's a flexi wing yada 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 um at the end of the day if he's convinced that there is something going on there that's not exactly illegal or even if he wants to seek clarification like you know Mercedes did with with Red Bull earlier in the season um when when they put the clamp down on the on the flexi wings initially then he should just go to the stewards and and lodge a protest if need be so you know i think 
yeah, the War of Words is not really going to accomplish anything. It's just going to be constant mudslinging. If Horner is really concerned about um, the rear wing or whatever, just just go to the stewards, seek clarification, do do a protest, because to the FIA at the moment, the Mercedes rear wing is legal. They do all the tests and they do those extra tests now since the French Grand Prix and. Um, the the flexi wings incident that we saw in Barcelona and then Monaco after that so we'll leave it at that anyway um interesting weekend uh and it's just going to be exciting you know between um Hamilton and Verstappen to the end of the season Horner and Wolf is just going to probably keep us all entertained as well in a way you know it's always fun going on to Reddit on a Monday afternoon or a Monday morning after the race and uh seeing what's what's come on there but um yeah it's 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 really looking good for two races to go now Let's move it on to supercars then and the Sydney Super Night to round out the four straight weekends that we've had in Sydney. Um, kind of glad it's over now and a bit sad that it ended on a bit of a damp note with uh, race 30 ultimately being um, called off there. At least supercars did a much better job than um, F1 with the Belgian Grand Prix, better than waiting a long time like we did at Spa. Um, and also they announced as well that ticket holders for Sunday have been refunded or will be refunded via Ticketek, so good to see that. Um, ultimately, it was a weekend that was uh, dominated by Red Bull Ampol Racing, Shane Van Gisbergen as well, um, both of them wrapping up their championship, so Shane now a two-time Supercars champion, adding to his 2016 title and a 10th title for the triple eight um organization as well first time since they've um first time since 2018 that they've won one and the sydney cup as well um being won by the kiwi too so race 29 and one two finish for uh triple eight it was a great race because you didn't think that they would win this one and after three straight weeks of watching the the sprint format the one two five k stuff seeing them switch to the 250k race, the longer race with multiple tyre compounds as well, and a greasy track at the end with a bit of rain coming in the dying stages, really made it an exciting finish. Um, pole sitter Anton Di Pasquale kind of, you know, fell by the wayside during the race, unfortunately. Um, he finished fourth, trying to chase down Cam Waters in the dying stages for a podium. Um, the race turned on its head early with an early safety car, um, out for Macaulay Jones having an engine failure and um, because it happened so early in the race um, teams wanted to get in get that fuel in as well because obviously with the 250k race they do have a minimum fuel um, drop as well and that saw a lot of double stacking by teams too so Shell V Power did it Triple Eight did it and for Triple Eight um, Van Gisbergen ended up being a big loser from that he dropped to the bottom end of the top 10 um, and then when we restarted the race we saw Cameron Waters Jack LeBrock, uh, his teammate, capitalized because they switched to the super soft tires and were able to make a bunch of passes. Um, and at that stage, it was Jamie Wincup who was leading the race, and he ended up being usurped by Waters after the second round of pit stops. Red Bull were on the super soft tires, so they ended up getting their charge on um, with the Erebus cars as well. So, you know, Erebus having such a great 
four weeks in Sydney between Will Brown and Brody Kostecki, three podiums as well as the win between the two drivers, and yeah, the win coming for Brown um, last weekend, or the weekend before, I should say, uh, you had Chaz Mostert coming through as well, um, but, you know, when the shower came later in the race, Van Gisbergen just lit up, and, you know, on those super soft tyres, he started picking through um, everyone, and then eventually getting to Cam Waters, and cruelly denying the Tickford driver at the end there, and, you know, I've talked about how miserable it's been for Tickford in the last, um, three weeks or whatever, or since Supercars came back, they've only had the one podium, of course, or they've had two podiums now, obviously with Waters finishing third here, but they only had the one podium previously with James Courtney, um, so, you know, to be denied the win, bit, bit sad, and then, yeah, seeing Van Gisbergen and Winker power through to finish one and two, so good on them for that, that's pretty much secured them, secured them the team's championship, a good year for Triple Eight, and, you know, again, not a team I'm a big fan of in, in like, you know, personally, but I do admire them, I do respect them, what they've achieved, and it's a big achievement as well, considering that there's going to be significant changes um, next year in the organisation. So, obviously, Roland Dane stepping down as the managing director and Jamie Wincup stepping into that role, which is going to be exciting to see. Wincup going straight from um, driver to team owner or, you know, team principal, effectively. Uh, you've got David Couchy, who's um, Van Gisbergen's engineer this year, so basically engineering him to a title, stepping down, um, and heading down south to Grove Racing next year, so Kelly Grove Racing will be Grove Racing as we know, being Tim Principal there, and then of course Wes McDougall, who was Win Cup's engineer this year for the one season, will be leaving as well. Um, so new new engineering lineups, new you know, management lineup as well, effectively, and I think they announced as well that um, Nick Perkat's longtime engineer, Andrew Edwards, has been poached from Brad Jones Racing too, so good opportunity for him to come up there, he'll be Shane Van Gisbergen's engineer, and um, how can we forget as well, Brock Feeney, um, the Super 2 Championship leader, will be in a Triple Eight Red Bull car next year, so that's going to be exciting as well to see how young Brock gets along, so um, important milestone for them, you know, their 10th championship in, since they came into the sport, what, back in 2004 or whatever, so, you know, they've they've been they've been always at the pointy end of the field, you know, they've probably had one or two seasons, um, or, you know, one or two seasons at the start where they weren't, you know, high up, but every year since, you know, they've always been able to win races and, you know, be there or thereabouts in the championship, and, you know, the last few years, certainly battling with um, Shell V Power Racing, Dick Johnson Racing, um, when they were tied up with Penske as well, was great, you know. And this year, it almost seems sad that it was is why it was one way traffic, and particularly for Van Gisbergen as well, because um, he made the comment <laughs> earlier in the year that you know if it wasn't for Scott McLaughlin going off to the US, then you know he wouldn't have had this form that he's had this year. But I think you know. Overall, the battles with McLaughlin has made Van Gisbergen a lot more consistent and fierce, and I think definitely this is the most consistent season we've seen from Shane. You know, he's always had those years where he'll be strong, you know, to start off the year, you know, he'll come out with a Adelaide 500 
um, win or whatever and in and Tasmania he's strong too then he kind of dips in the middle of the season and then comes again strong at the end of the year but no 14 wins this year for him um, very fierce and then I think for me the highlight of his season has to be Sandown because after you know, dominating the Mount Panorama 500 to start of the season. He has that um, biking crash. He, you know, breaks his collarbone. And he, I think in an interview recently, he said that, you know, he had to basically tell a fib to, to be able to come back and race, you know, and had, pushing through all the pain barriers and whatnot uh, and coming out to Sandown and winning all three races and, you know, a couple of them in the wet as well. So good on him for that. Um, and yeah, you know, this, this guy is, (laughs) can he win more championships? Definitely. I think, you know, he's the best driver at the moment in supercar. So it's really going to take a lot of, um, stepping up from the drivers around him in 2022 to be able to see an upset of the order. And, you know, there's no shortage of contenders that will line up. You look at obviously Cameron Waters, and Tickford, they need to get their act together for next year. Walkinshaw and Dreddy United now with two um, primo drivers, Mostert and Perkat together. So, and Erebus, you can't really rule out them too. I think Will Brown himself was saying that you know they they might be they might as well be in the hunt next year too. So that'll be good to see. Um, a couple of young charges get up there too, and whether Brock Feeney will hit the ground running too um, within the Red Bull team. So, congratulations to Van Gisberg and congratulations to Triple Eight. Um, unfortunately, the rest of the weekend there was not much to it. Nick Perkat did claim pole for the uh, four race 30 via the top 10 shootout, so that was a good lap in the wet, but ultimately the race was abandoned six laps into um, it. Uh, they pulled out the, well, they started on the safety car, did six laps, and then caught a red flag, put them in the pit lane, um, lined up, and then eventually they did make the call kind of um, an hour into proceedings, basically. So yeah, not not even having to wait like we did in Spa all the time. <laughs> a few hours, that was that was a long, long night, i got to say. So yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And, you know, on to the big one next, which is exciting. Um, I will actually do a proper preview episode next week for that. <laughs> I haven't done much preview stuff at all lately, but um, yeah, for Bathurst, I think it's it's definitely worth it. It was good to see the additional drivers get out there and have their little um, practice session for 40 minutes on the Friday before this um, last weekend. So um Topping it was Matthew Payne for for Kelly Grove Racing, even though he's not actually going to be co-driving with anyone this year. But um, behind him, you had Lee Holdsworth in the Walker Children United car. Um, So, you know, he and and Mostert, that's going to be a good combination this year. And then, you know, having all your regulars um, up there too in the top 10 was good to see. So, yeah, can't wait to get to Bathurst. Can't wait to see um, the first practice session on the Thursday. It'll actually be quite good because by the time I do record on Thursday, we would have had that first practice session done and dusted. So, you know, I could actually talk about talk about something, you know, try and establish a bit of a form guide. So, you know, and as well, it's going to be the latest start for a Bathurst 1000 race too, given the time difference and, you know, how late in the season we're doing this as well. First weekend of December, um, the race is going to be starting at quarter past 12 in the afternoon. So that'll be 
exciting. Get to have a little bit of a sleep in beforehand as well, <laughs> before before they hit the track for 161 laps. But um, yeah, it's it's nice to see. And you know, good. You know that we're coming to another conclusion. Uh, we're coming to the end of another massive year of motorsport as well. Um, and we'll definitely talk a bit more about it. Uh, in the coming weeks but other than that thank you for joining me this week uh of course follow me on twitter at hit the apex media as i said check out f1 chronicle and the grid talk podcast the link will be in the description as always have a good weekend guys enjoy a little bit of a breather from from motorsport until we hit the final two f1 races of the season and of course the bathurst 1000 take care ciao